Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Take your copies of uh, God's word this morning and turn to the gospel of Luke chapter 10. I'm going to be preaching on a very familiar passage this morning. But uh, many people call this the story of the good Samaritan. But if you read the story in the King James Version, the word good only appears, uh, well, I don't know if it appears at all. It certainly doesn't appear in, in uh, terms of the Samaritan. He's called a certain Samaritan. So we're going to look at this passage and see what Jesus said about the certain Samaritan. In honor of the reading of God's word, would you please stand as we give respect to the reading of the word of the living God. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. You know, as you look at this story, uh, this is a parable. I want to say that from the outset. Uh, one thing that uh, some Bible scholars look at this and they're trying to be too serious and they say, oh, well, uh, this could have never happened. Well, uh, Jesus was telling this story to illustrate a point. Uh, usually when he did that, uh, he, we call these stories parables. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And uh, this is exactly what this is. Uh, I like what Adrian Rogers said. He said, the good Samaritan who ministered to this man is really a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to understand two things. First of all, you need to understand the nature of the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. Uh, there's a, a pretty vast hatred today between the Arabs and the Jews. We've seen that in these last few weeks, especially as Hamas has been sending rockets over into Israel and Israel's been sending rockets back on Hamas in Gaza. And by the way, that's uh, one of the most ancient places in the world. That's where the Philistines came from. And uh, that, uh, there's a ceasefire there now, and I hope that it's, it's kept by both sides. 
but I've, I've learned that uh, you cannot trust a terrorist, and I doubt seriously that Hamas will keep their word. Uh, but there's enmity between the Jews and the Arabs. That does not touch the enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans because the Samaritans were a group of half-breed Jews. They were Jews who were not taken in the exile. When Daniel and the young men were taken in exile, that he tells us about in the book of Daniel, and then later on when many more were taken into exile, there was a group that was not taken into exile, and they stayed in Israel throughout all the 70 years that most of the Israelites were in exile in Babylon and then later on in Persia. But uh, these folks stayed in the land, and while they were there, rather than keeping the law and doing what the Bible says, uh, they intermarried with Canaanites, and when the Jews came back after the exile and the temple was rebuilt, uh, these Samaritans came and wanted to worship in the temple, and the Jews would not let them. They said, you're not really Jews. You've married Gentile women, and you've... Uh, you got mixed blood. We don't want you in our temple. You're not welcome here. And so the Samaritans went back down to Samaria and built a temple at Mount Gerizim. And if you read the fourth chapter of John's gospel, Jesus in talking to the woman at the well, uh, when she brought up, well, where do you worship? Do you worship at Jerusalem or do you worship at Mount Gerizim? Uh, that was when he said, God is a spirit. and Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's not so much the place where you worship, it's how you worship. But the Samaritans had their place of worship, and they hated the Jews, and the Jews hated them. They literally would spit on each other if they could. I mean, it was racial hatred of the worst kind. And when Jesus mentioned the Samaritan in this story, uh, all the Jews there kind of gasped. They could not believe that a Jewish man was mentioning the word Samaritan because it was a word that you only spoke when you were speaking in derision of the race. But he uses this term and they were surprised about that. The other thing is that, uh, notice as he begins the story, he says that a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now that part of the story is true. Uh, I've been there. If you're in, in Jerusalem, uh, you have to go down to get to Jericho. We actually traveled up from Jericho to Jerusalem. And by the way, there's the old gospel song that I used to love, and I still love it, on the Jericho Road. Uh, and I want to tell you, when I rode on that Jericho Road, I thought of that song. The Jericho Road, it's 17 miles long. It goes down from Jericho on the Jordan River Valley up to Mount Zion in Jerusalem, over the Mount of Olives and into Mount Zion. And as we traveled up that road in our bus, we stopped a couple of times. And it's still today, much as it was in Jesus' day, much as it was in David's day, much as it was in Abraham's day, it is desert. And as you travel up that road, it's a steep road. It's like some of the roads in the mountains. And you almost meet yourself coming around some of those turns. And there are several places where it would be easy to ambush someone. And you can see how in the ancient world, without uh, much police enforcement, and, and uh, the Romans were not patrolling all the, all the roads, just the main roads that had to do with, with shipping. And this was not a main road. It was a mountainous road. And so if you traveled on that road, you traveled at your own risk. And people knew that. So those are two things you need to understand. But I want you to see the three attitudes of the people in this story, because we find those same attitudes today. First of all, notice the attitude of the thieves. They said, what is thine is mine, and I will take it. And notice there was a fall as he went down from Jerusalem. By the way, not only do you go down, I meant to say this, not only do you go down geographically, you also go down spiritually. 
because Jericho is one of the most is one of the oldest and most wicked cities that's still on the face of the earth. If you remember the story of the conquest of Canaan, uh, where did the spies hide when they went into Jericho? They hid in Rahab's house. Who was Rahab? She was a harlot. And that was what Jericho was known for. It was, it's always been a border town right on the Jordan River. And so uh, you went down spiritually. There you have Mount Zion and the temple and the worship of the true and living God. And then you go down this winding mountain road and you end up in, in Jericho. If you go down on further, you go to the lowest point geographically on the face of the earth, the Dead Sea. And you also go down spiritually from Jerusalem to Jericho. So he was trapped. But then notice there was a fall. He fell among thieves. Uh, now these thieves, we're, we're not told a whole lot about them. We're told they were dangerous and they were deadly. Uh, notice he fell among thieves. They, it doesn't say how many there were. It just said thieves. There were obviously more than one. Uh, it could have been a whole group. Uh, and he fell among thieves. There was a fall. And there was assault. They wounded him. Now, this word wounded is the word that we get our word trauma from. Whenever you have trauma, you need to go to a trauma center. Uh, down in Montgomery, they don't have enough uh, business to keep a hospital trauma room open all the time, and so they take turns. And if you're ever down in Montgomery, if you're listening to the radio, they will tell you which hospital has the trauma center open that day. If you're in an accident, uh, the paramedics know which trauma center to send you because uh, not all the trauma centers are open every day. Certain ones are open on certain days. And this is the word we get trauma. They traumatized him. They wounded him. And then there was almost a murder. They left him half dead. Well, if he's half dead, he's only half alive. And obviously someone is wounded like this. If they're not tended to, they will die. Now, let me warn you that there are still thieves here today. In fact, this is the Christmas season. And you ladies have probably uh, been Christmas shopping some. Uh, I know that uh, that's all I've heard on the news is some people camped out all last week to go shopping. I know they talked about Black Friday and how Black Friday started on Thursday this year and, and Cyber Monday's coming up. I know this is the Christmas season and people are spending money. You need to be very, very careful. But let me say this, you need to be careful every day. You really need to be careful every day. My wife is the most trusting soul in the world. Uh, she really is. I mean, she... Uh, she's always been that way. She's, uh, to be honest, a little bit naive. I mean, I have to remind her, you can't trust everybody. You say, well, preacher, are you trying to make Mary distrust people? Well, yeah, because if I don't, she just, um, you know, somebody came up to her and they said, I need a thousand dollars. I need to go somewhere. If she had a thousand dollars in her purse, she'd give it to him. Now, let me assure you, she doesn't. Okay. So don't try that on her. All right. I, I can assure you she never has that much in her purse. But uh, there are people who are out to get you. I, I never will forget, you know, some of you know this, I didn't have a computer for many years. I mean, in the old church, I said, don't run wire into my office. I don't want to have to run the wire in here. Uh, I don't have to worry about a computer. When we came up here, I was not given a choice. I was told, you will have a computer. And I thought, well, I'll just sit there and look at the thing. I didn't stick a computer in my office. I'm not going to. And then I thought, well, that's stupid. You ought to learn how to use the computer. So I went down here to one of these uh, places on Valley Avenue and signed up for a computer course and somewhere I have a certificate that says I am certified in Windows and so uh, whatever that good that'll do you I don't know I, you know I'm, I'm sure that's not a very high-ranking uh, office in the world of computerdom but you know the first thing I got after I got my computer I had this man 
in South Africa who sent me an email. And he said that a rich man over there had died. And that if I would just send him $1,000 U.S., he would send me back a check for $50,000. And I thought, wow, that sounds too good to be true. And it was. It was a scam. You say, did you, what did you do? I said, you hit the delete button when you get one of those. Just hit delete. Don't even look at it. Uh, nowadays, if I get something, uh, we have Postini or Toastini or something like that. And if, if it says it's a bad email, I just go ahead and delete it. I don't, even, I don't even want to see it. I just delete it. You say, well, what if somebody really sent you a message? I have a telephone. Call me on the telephone if you want to get me a real message because I get more of those things across the, and I still get them. I got it the first day I had the computer, still getting it. So there's still thieves in the world. They try to take everything you have. You need to be very careful about that. Those of us who are getting older, we think about uh, maybe something will happen to us and we need somebody to take care of us. Be very, very cautious before you give somebody the power of attorney because they, they literally, when they get power of attorney, they can take all your possessions and sell them. They can take all your money and run off with it. There's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So I'm saying be wise. The Bible says we are to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And I'm warning you because there are people who still have this attitude. What is thine is mine and I will take it. Now God will judge eventually. They'll pay for what they do. Well, they are dishonest people as there were in Jesus' day, as there were thieves and robbers in Jesus' day, so there are thieves and robbers' day. But that's the attitude of the thief. What is thine is mine, and I'll take it. That's the wrong attitude. But then two religious people came by, and I have to call them the hypocrites because these were people who should have known and done better. In fact, as Jesus told this story, notice how he tells, he is the master storyteller. Uh, you read Luke's gospel and, and you read this story and the story of the prodigal son. Jesus could tell a great story. He was a great, and by the way, that's how a lot of his preaching was, telling stories. He just told stories. This is what this is. But he says a certain priest came down that way. Now, the priest had a high office in Israel. The priest could serve in the temple. Now, to be a priest, you had to be a Levite. But just because you were a Levite did not mean you would be a priest. Because the priests were descended only from Aaron. If you met a person who said, I'm a priest in Israel, that meant that way, way back somewhere, Aaron was his forefather. Now, you remember Moses was Aaron's brother, but Moses did not have priests or Levites in his, or he was a Levite, but he wasn't a priest. Aaron was a priest. And so even today in Jewish life, the Levite is descended uh, from Levi, but he's not a priest, but the priest is a descendant from Aaron. Even though they don't have a temple and they don't practice that anymore, that's still something that Jewish families keep up with. But the priest, notice what the, the priest, and he's the, one of the highest ranking religious officers. The only higher office that was the high priest. He came, he saw, he passed by. Now here's a man who spends his life serving God, maybe in the temple. Maybe offering sacrifices, maybe burning incense, maybe handling the temple treasury. Here is a man who, because of his birthright and because of God's plan for his life, he spends most of his life in religious work. And yet as he walks down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he looks and he sees this man, probably a Jewish man. All the Bible scholars believe that when Jesus told this story, every 
reader or every listener up till now thought he was talking about a Jewish man. And so here comes a priest. He looks over there. He saw, and he passed. In fact, he goes to the other side of the road. He said, I just don't want to get involved. And after he said that, then he said another man came by. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. He looked, he looked down there, and when Jesus said he looked on him, it's kind of like, do I really want to get involved here? Maybe he thought about it. But then what does he do? He passes him by. Now, what's the attitude of these hypocrites? What is mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. They were busy. They didn't have the time for this man. This man was not important to them. They couldn't care less. And they were supposed to be religious. They were supposed to know and serve God. What a travesty. What a travesty on the name of God that people who are supposed to be set apart to serve God would see someone who was suffering and in need about to die and leave him by the side of the road. What is mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to give any time. I'm not even going to go over there and say a prayer for him. I'm just going to leave him by the side of the road. He's half dead in a little while. He'll be dead. Nothing I can do for him. And they went on. But then, a certain Samaritan. Notice that's what Jesus said. But a certain Samaritan. He doesn't call him good. He just says this was a certain Samaritan. Now again, this is a made up story. This is not a true life event. Jesus is telling a story. And when he said Samaritan, you could just hear the Jewish people go, oh, no, gross, horrible. Oh, a Samaritan. You know, it's, the man's about dead, and now a Samaritan comes by. How much worse can it get? Well, it's supposed to get a lot worse because notice what the Samaritan does. He saw him. How many of us really look at people? How many of us, how many of us look at people in this church? Have you ever thought about the person that's seated on the pew with you? Now, you may be with your family, everybody on that pew. You may know them intimately. But some of you may be sitting on the pew, and you don't even know the name of the person seated next to you. Do you speak to them? Do you stick out a hand and greet them? Do you smile when they come in? Listen, let me ask you not to do something. I, I know we as Baptists, we have our... You know, we, we, we tease a lot of these liturgical churches about their traditions. But don't deceive yourself. We Baptists have our traditions. We do. And one of our traditions is, this is my pew. Now, now, now that, you know, I, I would laugh at that, but it's really not funny. Because I want to tell you this. You may have paid for that pew, but it's not yours. If you, you say, you mean, some, yes, some people donated money. We moved in here and paid for pews. Mary and I bought a pew. You say, where is it? I have no idea. You know what happens? If I come in here and somebody's sitting on that pew right there, you know what I do? I go somewhere else. I smile at them, speak to them. I don't say, you're in the preacher's place. I don't do that. What kind of preacher would I be if I did that? But I won't tell you, it does happen. I have had people tell me, I came to your church. 
And obviously I sat down in the wrong pew because somebody came and they didn't say anything to me, but they looked at me and if looks could kill, I would be dead right now. Now that's terrible. Over a church pew. I assure you, I see some openings in every service. It's not like you can't find a seat somewhere. But do we really ever look at people? Notice he look at, looked at it. Then notice the second thing. He had compassion on him. I love the word compassion. It's, a, it's an English word made of two Latin words. The word com, which means with, and passion, which means to suffer. And so compassion means to suffer with. When he looked at that man, here was a Samaritan. There was a Jew, a wounded Jew, a dying Jew who hated Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jew. But this Samaritan looked at him and had compassion on him. When was the last time you had compassion on somebody? When was the last time you did something for somebody not expecting anything in return? He had compassion on him. And then notice this. He went, do you see the Lord Jesus here already? <laughs> if you don't, you're blind. He saw him. Jesus looks at us. He sees us. And by the way, he sees through the facade. He sees through the exterior. He sees the heart. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows what our problems are. He knows where our struggles are. He knows what we're dealing with on a daily basis. He has compassion on us. He comes to us. One of my favorite Squire Parsons songs, and Brother Paul sings it beautifully. I need to get him to sing it again. Is the old Squire Parsons song, He Came to Me. When I could not come to where Jesus was, he came to me. And that's what he'll do. He comes to you. You say, well, preacher, I, I, I'm living in sin right now. Well, guess what? He'll come to you and forgive you and cleanse you and put you on the right, right path. Listen, if you're in sin today, you're in sin because you haven't allowed Jesus to come and have compassion on you and forgive you, and you repent of that sin and get out of it. He had compassion on him. He went to him. And then notice this. Here's that word wounds again, that word trauma. He bound up his wounds. Probably what people say is as Jesus told the story, the people had the idea that the Samaritan took off his armor, his outer garment, his cloak, and started tearing it into strips and started binding up the places that were bleeding. And so he bound up his wounds. He stopped the bleeding. And then notice what he did. He poured in oil and wine. Now, now this would have been for medicinal purposes. The oil was a lubricant, and it would lubricate the tissue that had been exposed because of his wounds. And the wine had an antiseptic quality. It would kill germs. And, and in the old days, this was medicine. This was some most effective medicine they had, oil and wine. That's about all they had for trauma like this. And so he used things he had with him, oil and wine he had with him to ease his suffering. And then notice this, he picked him up and put him on his own beast. Now we don't know if it was a donkey, could have been a horse. Not many people had horses, but some people did. Could have been a donkey or a mule, but he put him on his own beast. This man obviously was a Samaritan of some means. He had oil and wine with him. He had an outer garment on. He bound him up. And in this story, the Samaritan is the hero. And he has a beast there, and he sets him on his beast. He picked him up. You know what happened when he picked that man up? He got blood on him. He got dirty because he picked up a broken, bleeding man and put him on his beast. Notice he brought him to an end. I love this. You know what the Greek word translated in really means? A place for everyone. I like that. An inn was a place for everyone. 
You know, that's what the church ought to be. The church ought to be a place. I'm glad our church is getting that way. We're, you know, we have different races in our church. I love that. You say, why do you love that? Because the Bible says that all nations are going to come to the Lord. And that means every tribe and tongue, people of every color, every background, every racial background. I love it when we have these services and, and we see, I see our folks here from different places. We have a couple that's visiting at the 1045 service that are from Pakistan. If you see them, I mistakenly thought they were from India, but they're from Pakistan. And sweet, sweet people. And the day we had the Lord's Supper, they were so excited because they could take the Lord's Supper with us. I told them, you don't have to be a member here. You have to be a Christian. You have to examine yourself. And the older gentleman and lady don't speak any English, but their children explain to them what's going on in the service. And they come out just smiling, just beaming on Sunday morning. What a beautiful picture that is because the church is a place for everyone. You know, everybody's welcome here. It doesn't matter where you came from or what you've done. This is the house of the Lord. This is God's house, and we're God's people. And we're supposed to throw our arms open and say, everyone is welcome here. And if we're not, we need to close the doors and lock it up and sell the building. Because we're not a church anymore. We're a social club. Everyone welcome here. A place for everyone. That's what the end was. And then notice this, and took care of him. He spent the night in this inn with a stranger. You know what he was doing? He was giving him intensive care. He spent the night with him. He, maybe the guy woke up in the middle of the night and maybe he had a concussion and didn't know where he was. And Here was this Samaritan. It's okay. You're all right. You're in an inn. Everything's going to be okay. You know, if you're in intensive care, you're there for a reason. You're there because you need intensive care. Uh, when you go to the intensive care unit, there are nurses there around the clock. Now, if you're in the hospital, there are nurses on the wing, but they're not going to be in your room around the clock. But if you're in intensive care, they're going to see that you get care around the clock because you need that kind of care. If, you're, if you've had an accident or if you've had surgery, you've had a heart attack, uh, you don't want them to just put you in a hospital room and say, hey, if you need the nurse, call the nurse. Now, if you need intensive care they put you in intensive care and this man spent the night with this stranger as a Samaritan he spent the night with a Jew who hated him taking care of him all night long and then notice on the morrow in the morning the next day this man spent all night with him and on the very next day he knew he had to leave so he had already bound his wounds carried him to an inn spent the night with him in the inn and he went to the innkeeper and he took out two pence. Now don't let this, the fact that it's pence, and that sounds like pennies, make you think this wasn't a lot of money. In fact, if you have the NIV, it says he took two silver coins. And that's really a better translation. A pence, would be, and it's basically because we don't know what a pence is. King James would, but we don't. But two silver coins, you know how much one of those silver coins was worth? It would pay room and board in an inn for a month. And so what did this Samaritan do? He left two coins with the innkeeper that would take care of this man's room and board for two months. And then notice what he said. And when he said unto him, take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more 
when I come again, I will repay thee. I want you to notice those two words that I underlined in this text. Whatsoever. In other words, whatever you spend on this man to get him well. He didn't put a dollar amount on it. He didn't put a cap on it. He didn't say, I I'll give you up to two or three more silver coins. He said, whatsoever you spend. In other words, if you think about it, what did Jesus do on the cross? He did whatever it took. Whatever it took. I don't understand the cross. I really don't. I believe in it. I love it. But I really don't, I don't understand why God would die for somebody like me. And I really don't understand why God would die for somebody like you. But he did. When Jesus was on the cross and he was hanging there, he was literally saying, whatsoever it takes, I'm going to pay the price for your salvation. And oh, the suffering he went through. Do you see why Adrian Rogers says the Good Samaritan is a picture of Jesus? But did you notice the last words I underlined there? He says, when I come again, I'll repay you. You see, the Samaritan said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this man well. And I will come again. I think, I think that's a beautiful picture of Christ. On the cross, he said, whatever it takes for me to save you, I'm going to save you. And he said, because I saved you, I'm going to come again. That's what I see in, in this passage. Now, let me just say this about these three attitudes. Every person in here, at one time or another, has these three attitudes. We do. You know, sometimes we're users. Sometimes we take advantage of people. You say, Brother Mike, surely you never took advantage of anybody. I sure did. I took advantage of two people that loved me, my mom and daddy. I took advantage, I lived in their house till I was 22 years old. I went off to college for a year, almost flunked out for living on campus at Samford. Now, I didn't go to a party school. If I went to a party school, I would have flunked out. But I got saved and I got changed and I still went to Samford and had to learn how to study. And after my first year, I decided I can study better at home than I can study on campus because I was, I was just too involved in the campus life. So I came, so my mother and dad let me live at home with them for three years. And they offered to pay my way to college. Now, I worked and I paid part of it. But there were bills I couldn't pay. And they pay, I took advantage of my mother and daddy. You know what I was saying to them? <laughs> what is thine is mine. I'm going to take it. And they said, did you ever get them paid back? No, I never did. Never did. Never will be able to pay them back. I wouldn't be who I am today or where I am today if I meant for me taking something from mom and daddy. And I'm going to be honest with you, Mary's not here, but she did the same thing to her parents. <laughs> I mean, you know, that made me feel a little better about it. You know, I wasn't the only one did. Although, I did have to pay a room and board after we got married. I did, you know... Come to think of it, she took from me. <laughs> it was all worth it, though. All worth it. But then sometimes I've had that attitude, what is mine is mine and I'll keep it. You know one thing we don't have to teach the children in the nursery? is how to grab things. We can have 300 toys and two children in the nursery 
and we have war, especially if it's two boys. And maybe if it's two girls, I don't know. I guess girls could be that way too. But two boys walk in and both of them see the truck at the same time. And they run and gra- one of them grabs it and he says that word that I believe they learn when they come out of the womb. They say, mine. And he clenches his fist and he holds that truck. And the other one says, no, mine. And, that, and y'all are teaching your children that in your homes because we see them do it down here in the nursery. I don't know how y'all teach them that, but they learn it real early. But all of us have done that. I'm not going to do I'm not going to give anything. I'm, I'm not, you know, I need all I've got. I'm not going to give anything. What is mine is mine, and I'll keep it. Well, if your attitude is what is thine is mine, and I'll take it, you're a thief. If your attitude is what is mine is mine, I'll keep it, you're a hypocrite. But if your attitude is what is mine is thine and I'll give it, I'll share it, I'll use it to help you, then you're following the example of the man that Jesus said was a neighbor to this man. What's your attitude today? I'm going to be honest, I've I've been taking a whole lot here lately. Ever since I had my detached retina surgery, my wife has had to be a nurse. Uh, Even Jean Firstbrook had to come down some days and put drops in my eyes. When, When you first have that, you have to put four drops in, and then three drops, and then two drops. Now we're down to uh, one drop. In fact, today, I think is the first day we're supposed to do one drop. I've already had my drop. I don't have to bother Mary anymore today. Had that this morning. In fact, I asked her to put it in my eye. She said, I'm not going to put it in your eye. You're going to get in the shower. You'll wash it out. I'll put it in your eye. She's a harsh nurse. You know, I hadn't thought about that. But that was the right thing to do. She probably fixed to come in. Which I've been really taken because there's, you know, there's a lot of things I can't do with, with my eye and the shape it's in. And she's been a great help. But, you know, there have been times when Mary's been sick and I've given to her. Let me, let me say this, married couples. If you learn to be givers, both of you, you'll have a beautiful, long, and happy marriage. If you see two people who've had a long marriage, it's either two givers or one taker and a super saint. Think about that. The most important thing that we do is give. You think about it. Jesus gave his life. He said, are you talking about money? Oh, yeah. I'm not ashamed to talk about money. This man spent money on this other fellow. He needed it. He had to have it. I'm not, but I'm not just talking about money. You know, you know, another way you show compassion is time and influence and prayers. I always tell people when they get married, Marriage between two takers doesn't last long. Not very pretty. A marriage between a giver and a taker is a good marriage. But one day the giver will give out. And they'll turn to the taker and say, okay, I've given and given and given and now I need to take. And if you're a true taker, 
and I hope you're not. But if you're a true taker and you've been taking and taking and taking and taking and taking, when the giver turns to you and says, I'm giving out, I can't give anymore, I need to take. You know what you do? You may not say it in these words, but you say it in your attitude. <laughs> not me. You ought to know, I'm not a giver, I'm a taker. I've been taking all these years. It's too late for me to start giving now. And that's when it ends. But oh, I tell you, if you have two givers, it's a beautiful marriage. You just give and give and give. And the more you give, the more the Lord enables you to give. And the more he blesses you for what you've already given and gives you more to give with. And you think about it. What does God do? He gives. He does. He gives. He gave us life. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. You're not an accident. You're not a cosmic circumstance. You're created in the image of a God who wanted you to live and has plans for your life and wants to bless you. And he's given you, given you, given you. Don't you want to give back to him? First thing you can give him is your heart. I'm not, I'm not afraid to tell people, yeah, you need to give your money to God. But I always say this first. Don't give your money to God unless you're willing to give your heart to God. God doesn't want your money if he doesn't have your heart. Now, I got, now get this. If he's got your heart, he'll get your money. All right? Just understand that. Wait a minute, preach. Are you saying that if he doesn't have my money, he doesn't have my heart? I didn't. Well, I did just say it, but I mean, that's really what it is. It does get quiet sometimes. Thank you, Tom, for that. You know, when you pray. But I want to tell you, God gives and gives and gives unless we're like the Dead Sea. If you go to Israel, you see the Jordan River. There are two seas on the Jordan River. There's the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is a beautiful freshwater lake. And you can go there and eat St. Peter's fish with its eyeball looking at you while you eat it. And those are the same kind of fish Peter caught 2,000 years ago. They're the same kind of fish that have been in that Sea of Galilee ever since God created it. Within that same Jordan River flows down the Jordan River Valley through Jericho into the Dead Sea where it stops. And guess what's in the Dead Sea? Nothing. Zero. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. You see, as long as the Jordan River flows and it flows through the Sea of Galilee, God just continues to refresh it. When it gets down to the Dead Sea, it stops. And the only way water gets out of there is it evaporates and it leaves mineral deposits. And some of the richest mineral deposits in the world are in the Dead Sea because that's where the giving and the flowing stops. What did Jesus mean when he told this story? He meant for us to love God supremely, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But then those of us who are Christians have an even higher calling because right before he died, Jesus said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. You see, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's self-love. But if you love your brother and sister in Christ as Jesus loves them, that is divine agape love. And that's the highest form of love. What's your attitude this morning? Are you a thief? What is thine is mine, and I'll take it. Are you a hypocrite? What is mine is mine, and I'll keep it. Are you a giver? What is mine is thine. 
and I will gladly give it. Jesus gave to us.